Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the astounding Anthony Macaronis, the grandiose GM Gerrymander, and the magnificent Michelle Shepardson. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Matt and Jared, and we're going to be talking about how to handle those transitions from one campaign to another when you've wrapped up one game and need to decide where you're going next. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know Gnome question. What new game or campaign is on your horizon? Jared, I'm going to start with you. All right. Good time, good time to ask me that, because... So basically, my gaming is split up between... Uh, I have a Friday night game, a Sunday night game, and then we have a monthly Saturday game. And the monthly Saturday game is just about to start playing a short run of Spectaculars, which... Ah. I love Supers games. Some of the people in my group have not been super into playing Supers games. So I'm really excited that they are on board with this. We did a playtest of this for a review that should be out by the time you hear this Gnomecast. And they like the system so much, they were interested enough to actually give this a try as at least a short campaign. So I'm really excited that we have that coming up. That's awesome. How about you, Matt? Do you have anything on the horizon? Yeah, so some friends of ours, uh, my wife and I, moved to Philadelphia recently, and uh, we haven't seen them for a while, and my wife went to their birthday party recently, and they said, hey, we're getting a 5e game together. Now, I can't drive to Philadelphia, but we're going to do it online. So, (laughs) um, I'm in West Virginia, by the way, for those of you that don't know, And, and so... It's less about the game itself. It's just, you know, typical fantasy 5e, but it's more about reconnecting with friends that we haven't seen in a long time. Which is a big part of what gaming is. Oh, yeah. What about you, Ange? Honestly, I'm not sure what's going to be on the horizon. Currently, my uh, I have alternating Saturday games. In the one, the one group, we're playing a D&D campaign. I am not running it, but that one's still going strong. I know at some point the GM's going to want to take a break. I'm not sure what we'll be playing after that. And then the other group is running a modern supernatural game that's very inspired by Old World of Darkness and Dresden Files, but we're using Savage Worlds. Um, Mm -hmm. And that one is also going strong, so I'm not (laughs) sure... If we have an endpoint for either of those, one of the guys in the group who has not been one of our regular GMs, he backed the Kickstarter for Humblewood, which oh. I believe is a 5e hack where you're playing small woodland creatures with uh-huh. class levels. Um, and you get to, you know, and I'm like, as long as I get to play a raccoon, <laughs> I want to play a raccoon with a knife. Um, <laughs> so that is probably going to be on our horizon. And I, sh- I have been promising everyone that I want to revive my Eberron campaign at some point, especially now that we have Eberron mm-hmm. in 5e. Yeah. So it's like we definitely want to get that back up and running, but I'm not sure when. And I also don't necessarily want to go from Dungeons and Dragons to Dungeons and Dragons. Because uh-huh. we, we, the group is pretty polygamerous, so mm-hmm. we'll figure something out. Yeah. But this does bring us to our main topic, because unless you're in one of those mythical unicorns of a group, 
where you've been playing the same campaign for decades. I've heard they exist. I've never seen one. <laughs> no campaign lasts forever. And eventually you're going to reach an end point where your group is going to have to decide what to do next. And today, the three of us are going to talk about some thoughts and tips on how to handle that transition. Jared, you suggested this topic because you're, you're dealing with this right now with your one of your groups. So my Friday night game is kind of our dedicated D&D group. Sunday transitions to whatever. Saturday tends to either be short campaigns or one-shots. We're past the halfway point, and I'm, I'm running the uh, Tales of the Old Margrave adventure anthology from Cold Bolt Press. And so for the D&D group, we were kind of looking at what we're going to do next, because I have, coming up, I'm going to have the Empire of the Ghouls, which is also in Midgard, and it's fighting off ghouls, and there's a lot of Underdark stuff in there. But I also recently got the Odyssey of the Dragon Lords book, which is a big Greek mythology-based uh, 5e <laughs> game from uh, some of the people that were used to be at Bioware. And I wanted to present to people, like, in that case, our parameters were already set. It's going to be D&D. Because everyone in the group likes playing D&D. But it was a matter of what do we want to do. And part of that feeling was we want to do something that feels dramatically different while still playing D&D. Because, like you said, so you don't want to keep doing something too similar over and over again. Yep. Which is why we are probably, after having this discussion, going to do the Odyssey of the Dragon Lords next. Because doing a Greek mythology-based thing that is all big, save the world, potentially become gods is a lot different than running around a haunted forest in an Eastern European setting. So yeah. that was kind of our, our thought process there, was kind of looking at what 5e options we had and then talking about what we wanted to do. How, can, how, how different can we make this while still you know, keeping this night what we have all decided this night should be? Now here's a question. Does the group have only one GM or do you have rotating GMs? I am usually the GM. We have every, like, the Sunday game has rotated between different GMs before, but the um, Friday night game is usually mine. How about you, Matt? Do you deal with, from what I understand from talking to you before, you are usually the GM. You usually don't have somebody else that can take the reins? Well, you know, i got to tell you, Ange, I've got nothing. You know, you, you uh, put on the show notes that the topic was what's next. I thought we were going to talk about the stew pot. And then from there, we we're going to talk about the big stew in the sky that you go to after you're in the stew pot. So I've got all my notes for that, but, you know, I, I got nothing on this. <laughs> okay, we'll just wing it from here. <laughs> so I actually got really lucky and married somebody who likes to GM. So, ah. so I'm always, uh, you know, working on my working on my campaign that I'm totally going to run any day now. It's been a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, uh, usually it's my wife running and we play primarily what she would like to play. Although she actually went way out of her comfort zone. And I, I talked about this last gnome cast I was on. She's running a, a shadow run game for me Ooh. because I like it. She hates it, but she's, she's putting up with it just for me. And, uh, <laughs> So I lost the original question. I don't, I don't know what it was. <laughs> so well, how do you determine what's next? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's it's uh, basically who's got something actually prepared, and that's usually not me. So, <laughs> Well, the, the reason I ask about multiple GMs and groups is because that that's, that's, can be a big factor 
in deciding what to do next. Mm -hmm. The two groups I have are very co-mingled. We've got a lot of the same same people between them, but some people can't do every week, so we kind of split into two separate groups. One of the big decisions we have to make when we come to the end of a campaign is who is going to run next. And usually speaking, when a campaign is ending, it's because that GM needs a break. They want to they want to take some time and be a player for a little while. So that's that's one of the big decisions that that my group has to make. But I know it this this varies from group to group because some people only have one person who jams uh, or one person who primarily jams with other people running one shots on occasion. So it's, you know, each group has to deal with that particular question. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when they're deciding what are we going to do next? Well, who's going to be running it? So do you have like a formal procedure when you get close to uh, getting to the switching point? No, no formal procedure. We generally, you know, it's generally, it, it's a conversation that comes up before the campaign ends. You know, we get to the point where somebody starts being like, I think I've only got a couple more sessions left in this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so what do we want to do next? And we start planting the seeds and, and getting a feel for who's going to be the next GM. We've got three GMs primarily between the two groups, but we've got a couple of other folks who when nudged can can pick up the the pick up the gm duties uh, -huh. uh which gives us a little bit of a different flavor and gives them more experience to running my, my as i said my friend who backed humblewood and has been eagerly awaiting all of his stuff is one of our newer gms and it's it's been fun seeing him get more confidence and trying different things as he's running stuff so that was the thing i was going to ask is how does everyone else uh come up with your list of what's coming up next. Because if you just go, okay, in the entire possibility of all RPGs, what should we do next? That tends to be like this <laughs> decision shutting down point where it's like, I don't know. And I know in a lot of cases for me, when especially since I, I do a lot of reviews, it's kind of like, okay, I've just done reviews for X, Y, and Z. I just got in material for X, Y, and Z, either from Kickstarters or picking it up for the review. And that's kind of the limited set that I'll present to people and then say, hey, if somebody has an idea outside of this, you know, throw that in too. But that's kind of the way I have limited it in recent years. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely a problem my group has had in the past. One of the guys whose house we often play at, he has a vast library of games. I wouldn't say he has every game ever published, but he's definitely made a concerted effort to try and get there. So he has <laughs> shelves upon shelves of games. And we would very often end up in this question of, what do you want to play? I don't know. What do you want to run? And it would just be this conversation that would go back and forth because he would be that he wants to run something that we want to play, but I'm like, I want to play something that you want to run. So... <laughs> finding that that balance yeah you know that 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 can be tough do you have any thoughts on this matt so you're you're talking about op basically the option paralysis of how you're picking your new game when there's the whole world to choose from i find that generally if you've got a, a, a group with several gms 
chances are somebody's had something cooking on the back burner. Either they're, yeah. they're working on it, mm-hmm. you know, or they've been thinking about it. And so hopefully that will be something that the group will say, yeah, that, that actually sounds good. And uh, you can go from there. If you've got nothing, it, yeah, it can be very daunting. Then you got to start yeah. digging around and looking for things. And sometimes it can be something as simple as um, I ended up running last year. I ran Dragon Heist because one of my GMs suddenly realized he's like, fifth edition has been out for four years and I have never played. <laughs> he had only ever run it and he'd been like like he's one of those those folks that will sit there and just make characters because they want to see yeah. how to put together characters even if, i can't do that i can't i can't put together a character if i i know it's never going to come to the table um but it was like yes yes i will run fifth edition D for you because you deserve that <laughs> I, as someone that has 20 characters on D&D Beyond, uh, of which I have played four, <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. I understand that. You you make a really good point there, Matt. But if you have multiple people that are eager to GM, usually people have that that thing that they really want to get to the table you know, percolating in their head. I'm pretty sure when our Sunday group wraps up Star Trek... I know we have one other person in the group that wants to run demigods, at least for a short campaign. So that's probably going to be our next thing for Sundays. And then our Saturday games, it's just whatever one shot we end up doing or whatever, you know, if we decide to do a short campaign for something. So, I, yeah, I, I think having the multiple GMs is definitely a different situation than when you have the dedicated for life chain to the uh, GM screen. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and in, in those cases where you've got the dedicated GM, like if you're not willing to if you're not willing to step up and take a turn running stuff then you're kind of you're kind of beholden to whatever it is that they really want to run mm-hmm. you know and i i i always try and emphasize that cuz i think there's there's a fair amount of perception or attitude towards gming is that the gm is the lord of the group the gm is the ruler and it's like no you're just one part of the cog you really have yeah. to have the whole buy in but if you've got a situation where only one person is willing to do the work to run games, you should kind of go where they want to go, at least as far as that. As long as they're they're running a game for the players instead of just for themselves. But that's a that's a whole probably a whole other conversation about that. Well, as as a wise gnome that uh, that has some books out on this has once said. I believe the the GMing thing is almost more of a project manager thing than it is the uh, the the god emperor of the table. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't remember that guy's name though. I mean, I, I've seen him around sometimes. Was it Phil? Bill is that the Will yeah? Something like- <laughs> you know, for uh, for the longest time at the inception of Gnome Stew, I couldn't tell the difference between Phil and Walt. And they're very different people. It's just, you know, we had only communicated online. And for some reason. <laughs> you know, I, I can kind of see that. They are two very different people. But I, I can see that if you're only communicating via email. Uh, Jared, you mentioned something earlier that I also think is something we should touch on. Um, is the, you know, you have some players playing a supers game that normally aren't that into supers games. Uh-huh. And that that that's something you have to deal with when you've got 
you know, you, you may not have a complete quorum on what to run, but you've got a majority. How do you get the buy-in of the players who aren't always that into whatever genre or system you're trying to run? Well, I think, for one thing, to also bring in another thing that is Phil-adjacent. Phil and Send have talked about this, but they've talked about having the enthusiastic consent, not just, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I agree with that, but I do think sometimes you can get people excited about something when you show them other aspects of it. Mm -hmm. In general, the people that were not enthusiastic about Supers games at my table, they aren't they they watch Marvel movies and things like that, but they aren't like they haven't read comic books for 20 years like a couple of us and things of that nature. So they're not as invested. It's not that they don't like the genre. They just aren't as invested in it. Right. And their experience had been things like Mutants and Masterminds, which was really crunchy to them and didn't do what they wanted it to do. So it was a combination of I'm meh on the uh, genre and I don't like the, the rules that I've seen for this so far. Supers, supers as a gaming genre is is a little like calling supers in and of itself a genre is a little misleading because there's yeah. there's a vast variety of games you can get out of that and like this is why I am very careful about choosing supers games to play at cons because a lot of times I get they just want to play a punch 'em up game yeah without any story. And that's not the game I want to play. Oh, yeah. And what's really nice is uh, with Spectaculars that kind of like thawed that out. And actually, the same group that hadn't wanted to play Supers games also played a one shot of Masks and loved it. So, I mean, that was be because they got to play with widgets that weren't about whether your strength is two points higher than this or, you know, things like that. <laughs> and um, but what's nice about um, Spectaculars is that it's very modular. And like when you brought up that you have a lot of subgenres that are also part of the superhero genre, there is like a campaign framework that you pick. Mm -hmm. So you can pick the the supernatural framework where you're playing like the, uh, to use a recent example, like the Justice League Dark versus the Fantastic Four framework versus the um, Guardians of the Galaxy framework they ha and versus the like Defenders framework where you have the street level that people... Yep. You have, like, the people running around in space, you know, that sort of framework. You pick a different campaign framework for each of those things. And then, like, all the powers are really modular. And that got them more engaged with, like, I'm not building things based on points. I'm building things based with, I'm going to pick this whole module and drop it onto the game. And that's what populates it. We play. I got to play in a um, sporadic campaign game that was essentially set in the 1970s, very... Detroit, you know, set in Detroit, very, uh -huh. supposed to be street level, and it was it was set in the Marvel universe. And the GM Paul kept like pulling on the strings of the the stuff he knew from Marvel, and he like threw us up against stuff where we kept going, Paul, this is supposed to be a street level campaign. <laughs> Why are you throwing us up against Mephisto? <laughs> but it was fantastic game, absolutely wonderful. That actually reminds me of, I don't know if you ever read the Marvel Knights series, but that was, it was all these street level characters. It was like the first arc was like, it was like Cloak and Dagger and Black Widow and Daredevil and characters like that. And then Punisher was, was kind of tangential to this whole thing. But like in one of the first arcs, they had Punisher fighting a troll from, <laughs> they bring in a troll from Thor 
And, you know, Punisher is sitting here trying to figure out how much firepower he actually use, he needs to use to actually injure a troll. <laughs> okay, let's, let's wrap this back to the topic. <laughs> so, two of the things that, that you guys have been talking about actually tie in nicely to an article that I wrote back in 2011. Uh, so that was the early days yeah and uh we had talked about how you get player buy-in when you don't necessarily have enthusiastic consent from everyone and we had talked about how there's you know many different flavors of supers and blah 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 and so this article that that i wrote way back when is basically about hey isn't it really cool that in a supers campaign, everybody can go out and make whatever character they want completely apart from each other. And then you can bring them to the table. And because it's such a diverse genre, hey, that's okay. But the hidden gem of this is that you can actually take a look at the origin stories of all these diverse superheroes and say, aha, well, this guy implies that there's a Lovecraftian theme in the background because he got his powers from Cthulhu. And this guy implies <laughs> you know, that there's this giant government conspiracy because he's a, uh, a spy that was from MK Ultra. And this guy, you know, and you can totally build parts of your world based mm. on these backstories. So it's a great opportunity to both get the buy-in and inform your campaign setting. I think I, I, I tend to still try and find at least a little bit of a framework, is, at least as far as tone, because I've had supers campaigns where people have made, like, to use the same character for both examples, the deadly serious Christopher Nolan uh, <laughs> Batman, I'm Batman, versus the uh, 1960s campy show Batman. And, you know, having two different tones in the same game can be a little jarring. But I do agree. Yeah, it's it's the you can you can pull together a whole lot from just, you know, get the player to buy in with the character that they're interested in playing and then pull those threads all all into what you're doing for the game. And because it's still top of mind, because it's a recent uh, review that I did, the neat thing in Spectaculars that they do is there's kind of almost like a flowchart type thing where there's a whole booklet where you answer questions about a city and then you answer questions about different elements. And if someone references something that triggers another thing, it tells you another page and you have another thing of questions to go through. So what you might have is once somebody says that they were a super spy, you go to the, the super spy agency sheet and then you answer the questions on that. And now that's a thing and you have some facts about it in the setting. If somebody says that they got their powers from a mystical artifact, there is literally a page for the mysterious artifact, and you go there and you answer questions for that, and then you have some details on that. So it's it's actually the... Even if you're not playing that game, I'm going to chill for them for a second here, even if you're not playing that game, <laughs> that booklet and all of the questionnaires for filling out information on a super setting is a great thing to have for just about any super setting. Because it kind of guides you through, like, Here's a trope. Here are some questions to fill in the details of that trope. Here's a trope that chains off of that because you answered this question a certain way. Yeah, and I, I think wrapping it back around to the original thought <laughs> of getting player buy-in um, is that, you know, 
let the player find a character that they're going to enjoy exploring in whatever genre it is that's being brought to the table. Yeah. And, and that's part of why, um, part of what I like to do when we are looking at next thing is to not present people with, Hey, I want to do this next. It's okay. If no one else has an idea, here's a couple options. I want to make sure mm -hmm. there's options. Is yeah. there more than one thing so that people can gravitate sort towards something they really want and to leave open that whole, if anybody else has any ideas, throw it in here but you're also not just throwing that that you know that hand grenade into the middle of the group saying what are we doing next with yeah, no ideas and, and while i i definitely you want enthusiastic consent from everyone at the table it's also it's it's okay when a player's like this may not be you know this may not be completely my jam but i'm along for the ride because i know other people are gonna enjoy mm -hmm. this you know i've been that player before where i'm like this doesn't necessarily sound like what I really, really want to play, but everyone else is super into it. So I want to see them enjoy things too. And as a group, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a cohesive thing. Again, bringing it back to what I was saying, like it's not just the GM's show; it's it's everyone's. Yeah. Everyone needs to be invested. Now, on the flip side, I will say the GM also has to have fun with this. Yes, and. This is something I ran into one time, too, when I was going to play something next. I had a player that hates Star Wars as a setting. He absolutely hates it. And I was going to run a Star Wars game, and it was at the game store, so I figured, okay, well, you can pivot out, and then when I run something else, you can come back in. And he stayed in and played it. And the problem with that was he was intentionally poking holes at all the Star uh, Wars tropes all the time. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not having fun running this anymore, so I'm not going to run it anymore. Because all you're doing is trying to point out to everyone why they shouldn't like Star Wars while trying to play the game. And that's not fun for me. You yeah, know? that's not cool. You need, if you're going to be in a game that's not really your jam, you need to be mature enough to handle that. Yeah. And uh, side note, we actually have an article on the stew about hating <laughs> Star Wars. So there you go. <laughs> See, we, we, we need Matt as our, our resident gnome sage here. That's <laughs> He's been there since the dawn of time. Back in my day, we carved the stew into stone tablets. That, that was last episode. <laughs> I think we've covered pretty much everything I wanted to touch on about this stuff. Any, any last words from either of you guys? No, I just like to apologize for how much I wandered off topic. <laughs> it's a gnome cast episode. Of course, we wandered off topic. I think um, one of the caveats you do have to to look out for if you are considering what is next, and especially if you have lots of GMs, is you have to be very careful of the shiny. Mm -hmm. I played in a group many many years ago in which every player was a GM. And consistently about every third or fourth week, somebody would come in and say, I just bought this new book and I'm really excited and I've started planning a campaign. And then we'd switch to that. And you just, you could not consistently <laughs> get an entire month of a game because nobody could resist the shiny. So you do have to be careful of that. I yeah. see this field full of half-dead campaigns. <laughs> well, actually, now that Matt says this, that did remind me of something that's made it easier to do what's coming next in my games, which is, again, from various uh, Engine Stew publishing books that had come out giving this sort of advice, I started getting a better idea of what how I wanted to define a campaign ending. 
Like, am I just going to say I'm going to run this for like three or four sessions? Am I going to run a certain story arc for like D&D 5e? A lot of times it'll be I'm going to run this adventure to the end. And knowing that makes it a lot easier to say, okay, yes, that is a new shiny thing, but we're going to finish this first because this is kind of the defined parameter of what we're running this time versus, hey, we've done this for two sessions, but somebody else is really excited about this other thing. Yeah, or or at least, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate for the uh, the seasonal mm-hmm. game. You know, run your season, get to the end of the season, and then go to something else. And then you can yeah. pick up that other campaign later, mm-hmm. you know, which we've done many times. My Eberron campaign is one of them. The, the current <laughs> D&D campaign I'm in is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I, I like that concept. It, it, it prevents GM burnout because you can run it for a set amount of time, reach yeah. a good point, and then pause the game so you can experience something else without feeling like you failed at GMing. Yeah. I think we can start getting out of here. Okay. Uh, we, we got we, another we two, three hours enough. on this. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is a short form podcast. <laughs> we don't go long here. Well, I mean, we do, but... I think we pr- pretty much always go long here. <laughs> do do we need to get Phil and Send on here to define what a short form podcast is? <laughs> okay. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You two can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad brought to you by Campaign Dice. Do they help you run the game? No, of course not. These dice help you decide what to play by completely randomizing everything about your game. One die for genre, one die for tone, one die to determine power level, one die, one massive die to determine system. You may end up playing fluffy woodland creatures in a lighthearted god-level Cthulhu Mythos game, but you'll never have to make a decision again. And isn't that what it's really about? (laughs) (laughs) If you're enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. She's a super geek. She's a Super Geek is an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. She's a Super Geek is awesome. Listen to them. Especially that that, that one where the, the, the GM had them playing supers and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? I'm going to go with Jared because I know Matt's answer. Okay. You can look up my blog, What Do I Know? And you can find me on Twitter at NightErrant underscore JR. Matt, is there anywhere else we can find you on the internet? I mean, I am places, but I don't really have a presence anywhere. <laughs> How about you, Ange? <laughs> you, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13. Again, as always, I warn Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cats. That there has been a little bit of the home remodeling situation we've got going on, including the beer can we found inside the wall. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you guys think we've waited the stew this week, or should we start planning what we're doing next? Well, I'll be honest, not a chance in hell. (laughs) I hope not, because, you know, all these notes I've got on what's in the stew and the stew beyond, I gotta do something with them. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.
So, oh God, I had something, and it's all. <laughs> you're gonna have to cut this out, Rob. I'm I'm just massaging my temples here. <laughs> 